Welcome to episode 714 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 712 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. It's dark outside, as we discussed before we were recording. Well, it's, it's we're 7, into it's 7 in New Zealand, and uh, it's very dark, John. I know, it's very dark indeed. So hopefully the sun comes out and we have a nice day. Sun will come out tomorrow. We need what that song right now, don't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too, yeah, and today. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Oh, no, oh yeah, by... Our fantastic patrons. You can go first, Jombo. Gareth, the mighty Flynn. We got um, what's that nickname? Jack Lynch is Custo. Custo. What's that from? Um, you know, like a thousand legs below the sea or whatever it oh, was. Oh, Jack Custo. Jack Custo. Yep. Exactly. There okay, you go. Right. And Colin, hungry like a wolf, Durant. Okay. And this week's show, we've got some news. I tell you what, John, we've probably got two hours of news. Really, so much happening in the world. Indeed. <laughs> uh, and we've got some hot topic of the weeks. So we've got an interview. We're going to talk to Helen Davis. Uh, you remember we spoke to Lucy in, in preparing for races. Now, obviously, we haven't to actually focus a bit on some mental conditioning, so we're going to chat to Helen about that. And then also we're going to put in uh, part of our interview we did with Dave Scott, and you can be able to listen to the rest of that if you flick over to our Legends of Triathlon. Yep, we'll be putting that up tomorrow so <laughs> there you go so uh so check that out as well age group of the week and we've got a winger of and wing of the week questions and answers at the end well the big news while nothing's happening in the sport as in regards to racing right now we had massive news over the weekend and it is that iron man has been acquired by the advance group so john pretty interesting stuff one thing i find really fascinating about this is why they so didn't want to sell to the pto yeah, that was just, I'm sure there's much, much more to that story that we'll potentially never find out. But the Advance Group is a private family-owned business that owns and operates and invests in companies spanning media, entertainment, technology, communications, education, and other promising growth sectors. And they, what, what I saw that was quite interesting is they hold a 31% stake in Discovery Channel. Uh, and that could potentially open up a few doors in terms of promoting the sport um, a bit wi wider. And then there's the Orkilla Capital Group that were formed in 2013 by a guy called Jesse DeBay and Taylor Storms to pursue proprietary and compelling growth equity investment opportunities in the customer and consumer media and entertainment sectors. So who knows what the hell this is going to do for the sport? You know, if we think back to when um, Wanda took over the group, you know, what were the changes for us for the end user? Not really much at all. Um, I guess in terms of the sport, the it sport has, has grown a lot. It has grown a lot, and it's grown a lot in in Asia. Uh, but I think that will continue. Um, perhaps we won't see all these uh, slots being given away in, in Chinese races um, and willy-nilly. Um, but who knows where this is going to go? But my gut feeling is for the end user potentially not really going to make that much difference? Well, yes, here's an interesting question, John. I did my last Ironman in 2000, my Ironman, not, not road, in 2000, I think, it, did I do 2008? Maybe I did 2008. Or maybe 2007 was the last Ironman I did. I wonder how much the, ex, the race experience has changed since that time. I wouldn't have thought 
drastically you know numbers have changed there's just more races and and that's the the biggest change you know back then you know um there wasn't that as many races around the world and it was a really really big deal but now you know people are doing a couple of Ironmans every year and it's not quite as big a deal I think um but in terms of the race experience if you rocked up to Ironman New Zealand and next year and you did it or next year might be slightly different but any other year other than a bit of fluctuation in numbers and and obviously now we've got the 70.3 but other than that not drastically different you still got to at the end of the day Bevan you've still got to swim bike and run the distance yeah, it's just, it's just interesting, isn't it? It's, it's a product that doesn't actually have to evolve that much. No. You know what I mean? Like when we think of like technology products, you know, your iPhone, you get a new iPhone every year, you know, all these kind of product fields, a big part of the product is to evolve your product and, and develop and make it a better thing. Whereas when you think about the Ironman experience, it, it really hasn't shifted that much. You, the only thing you probably add is, you'd say that, that the tracking and the technology around the race is Pretty crap. <laughs> Still pretty crap, though. But but that's probably the only you know like if, if we went and got my experience from two thousand and seven and put someone to Ironman New Zealand this year, other than the course changes, mm. the, the you know there's no real evolution in how they run a race. No. Going back to the PTO thing, I'm just the thing I'm fascinated about it with is I get that maybe they didn't want to take them, but they didn't even seem to be interested to talk to them. Well, it depends if it was really a legitimate offer or not, and that's something I've, I haven't looked into, don't know, or whether it was just... Uh, whether I put it on the table like it was. You know, mm. like if, I, if I'm selling a house and, and I want to get the best bang for my dollar, I'm going to talk to anybody who's interested. You know, I'm going to talk to people who are interested. The, the guy who was backing them was someone sent it through an email who's worth $3.7 billion. So the guy had money. They had the money. I'm just really fascinated to know. And as you say, we probably won't know for a long time, but why they weren't interested in at least opening the door to these guys. Yeah, exactly. And I'd love to know the sales price. I think that was announced. I think it was $750 million, but I could be completely wrong there. Um, okay, but that's well, so what I thought on, I saw. Based on what we talked about last week with share price right now, they got a, they got a premium. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they probably thought, jump off now. Let's get out by the yeah. way it's falling to pieces. Uh, one of the unsaid news is that we're going to be doing a lot of it in the next period of time is races being cancelled and one of the most iconic races on the long distance calendar has been cancelled challenge wrote for 2020 is no longer going to be happening and it's been cancelled they haven't postponed have they no they haven't they've cancelled for for next year uh and for next year this year you mean yeah, it's cancelled for this year, and then uh, obviously all the athletes will be given the opportunity to enter for next year's race. So that's a real shitter. No great surprise. Uh, obviously, you, you know we were going to be over there, um, but kind of the writing's been on the wall. So it's heartbreaking I mean, because a, you know, obviously we were going to be over there for us and, and our listeners who are going to be like you know the guys' race. We were like, oh my god, this is. This is best outside of Kona. Mm. And the other, the, uh, more and more races are being canned, and and Ironman are, are postponing plenty of their races. And God, I was I was getting pretty fired up. Even there was uh, Ironman Australia has got uh, has been postponed, and I think they were being postponed to some stage maybe in September. And look. Yep. And people started just giving them crap, going, that's not going to happen, you're dreaming, you're blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, get a grip, you losers. Um, they're, trying, they're trying They're trying to yeah. salvage what they can and just take a step back if you're one of those trolls. Um, nobody knows how this is going to pan out. Everybody thinks they're a bloody COVID-19 expert. And if people are postponing, Iron Man, you go, oh, you've got lots of money, you've got lots of money. It's still a business. People are going to be getting laid off left, right, and center at Iron oh. Man. And uh, just give them a break and stop being idiots. Well, that's the thing is that, 
there's the cost to them pulling off races. And if they don't get put, imagine if there's no races this year, what's mm. the cost to that business? Tell you what, you wouldn't have wanted to support that business for 700 million, billion, what do you <laughs> No, and, and at the end of the day, that costs, if, if they can't run races this season, that's gonna, that cost is going to get passed down to us further down the track when we, when we enter races. So if you're a troll, get a, get a grip, or if you know somebody's a troll, give them an uppercut. Do you want to talk about the cycling thing? Uh, what cycling thing? We're just judging on cycling in this time. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we had a, somebody suggest, you know, putting a discussion of the week about whether people should be riding outside or not. Um, and I said, oh, I'm kind of over that because people were just so heavily opinionated in that. And I don't know, my viewers, you know, you just obey what the local authorities tell you can and can and can't do. Yeah, so... so- in New Zealand, our our rule is you've got to stay pretty much pretty local, really. So you you couldn't really go cycling in Christchurch, could you? Like, what could you do? Uh, I know you just keep it local. Um, if you if you want if you want to, well, I I think I saw somewhere you know within a five k radius. Um, so for for you and I, you know, you could if you wanted to, you can go out and do a reasonable amount of riding within five k's. Just go up and down little hills here and there. But it, it's just for me personal personal preference. It's, 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 it's one thing that's really interesting because we are in lockdown and you're not locked down we're in isolation here so in New Zealand our rules are currently basically the concept of the bubble which I'm sure you've all heard of stay in your bubble try to stay home as much as possible supermarkets are cool um, but again kind of be safe you can you can definitely go outside and as John said stay in your local area so 5k um, and then you know that's pretty much it and, and you really just want to go out and do some basic exercise you're not meeting up friends and stuff like that uh, I live in an area that's a really popular exercise area, so you've definitely seen it drop down. There's definitely not so many people around. There are still people around, but I tell you what, when you go out running, you, you, it's like dodge them. You know, mm. you see somebody like 50 metres away and you've got to duck across the road. and it's, 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 A lot of energy goes into avoiding people. Um, but I tell you what, also, we can all be a little bit judgy about how close people are to other people. Exactly. You know, it's, it's a pretty fascinating time right now. So just one thing that New Zealand's doing really well is putting that message of being kind out there and just, you know, be reasonable. You know, it is a crazy time and you've got to be a little bit reasonable to other people in there. Uh, John, results. Was there a result over the weekend? There was no results, but what I'm going to start doing is uh, looking back at the races that were on one year ago, just so we've got something wow. to we're talk about. <laughs> well, we're not that desperate, but also just to keep the names of the pros in our minds uh, and just to reflect on what's been some awesome performances, even though they were 12 months ago. So Ironman South Africa was supposed to be last weekend. Um, last year we had uh, a shortened swim. Ben Hoffman took out the race. He swam 26.03, bike 4.24 and ran an awesome 2.39 to win by six minutes over Nils Fromhold and Michael Weiss another couple of minutes back. Ben Hoffman's quality athlete, man. I just, he just... Lucky, isn't he? Yeah, but he but he's won plenty of races and he's gone exceptionally fast. On the female side, we had Lucy Charles take it out. Uh, what was interesting here, she looks like she outswam all the fellas. Uh, she at least outswam the top three. She swam 25.20 compared to Ben Hoffman's 26.03. She rode a 5.05 and ran a sub three with a 2.59.32 for a five-minute victory over Gritz Frauds Loralde from Spain and Anna Wilkinson in third place. So that was Ironman South Africa last year, which is uh, not happening this year. Game okay, on. <laughs> Fortunately, it's not. But it's just crazy, crazy time of year. You know what? Like in New Zealand, just the implications of what's happening, our biggest sports broadcaster, Radio Sports, just closed down for good. 
mm. yesterday, and, and it's kind of and Brian Ashby. I think he listens to the show. He works for them. He's um, luckily he works for News Talk ZB, so he'll keep his job. But it's you know like you know what? Sadly, John, I was thinking maybe I'll watch WrestleMania on Sunday. <laughs> oh yeah, because that's the only thing. Because you can get it's on Sunday, eleven a.m. in the morning. I was thinking this is the only kind of sport that I can watch. <laughs> well, funny you should say that because everybody can go back and get up to speed on their ITU viewing because TriathlonLive.tv has opened up the duck gates and. Can... Okay, John, here's a good question for you on this. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but Triathlon TV, it's free for a year. John, I have never watched any Triathlon TV. Five races you'd recommend? I would go back in the archives and look at a bunch of uh, individual world championships there. So if you go into the archives, I can't remember exactly when the it changed over to being a world championship series, but I would go back and look at some of the, the old, older races. Uh, so 1994, they had the world championships in New Zealand. Uh, and just going back and looking probably some, some of the races in the 90s, some of the world championships, uh, I would say 1995 was the first draft legal race in Mexico. So anything before that is good. Um, after that, I'd say 95 uh, for a couple of years. It's a bit bit of a bore fest. Um, but, yeah, plenty of good stuff in there. Just just scroll scroll through. And, I'd, yeah, I think they've even got, like, the 1989. They've got the 1980 – 1991 would be another good one to watch. 1991 on the Gold Coast. So there's, there's two good ones, 91 and 94. Okay, and what about in the last decade? Oh, uh, I would go back and, and see if they have the uphill one that they did in Kitzbühel, which was a world championship oh, yeah. series oh, yeah. race. I, I actually watched that race. Yeah, so yeah. Kitzbühel, I can't remember what, I'm sure if you can just search for Kitzbühel, that will be in there. And then I'd imagine they probably have, uh, if you have a look at some of the races for from Des Moines and Iowa, when they had it as the uh, the big money race. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Des, Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, and Kitzbühel. Well, because well, like for me, who is missing sport, um, and don't I don't tend to watch a lot of triathlon, so I don't know the results. Um, fingers crossed, I don't get us. Fingers crossed, I don't give it away when you click play. You know, sometimes you yes. you go to these sites and have the pictures of the winner before you push play. So fingers crossed, they've. They haven't done that, but it's a cool way to kind of get a sporting fix without actually knowing what's happening in racing. Totally, and, I, and I'm currently uh, addicted to working my way through the season of the Formula One on what was it, Drive to Survive on Netflix. And exactly like you said, the cool thing is I don't know the results of races, yeah. so you're watching them and you're going, they're building this up and I don't have a clue what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Cool times. Okay, guys, this week's discussion. What are the implications of the coronavirus on triathlon? They're the obvious ones, but what do we uh, we want you to explore at a deeper level to see what you can come up with? So I'll go first. Michelle Van uh, Den Venture. Uh, possibly a bit late to this one. Biggest hit would be triathletes still trying to train while feeling unwell. That's a good point, actually. Or tr- even training harder now that they feel they have more time during lockdown and doing more damage to themselves in the long term than they realise. That's actually a really good point, Michelle. Mm. 
Phil Whitehead, uh, a number of issues for me, not in any particular order. Cancelled the Lakesman last Tuesday with a big loss to a small business. Looking increasingly likely no Kona in 2020, having already qualified. How will this impact if flights uh, um, etc are cancelled? Um, perhaps no race, no cash back for flights and accommodation etc. Um, 850 already qualified. So that's a good stack, courtesy of Russell Cox. So in terms of Kona qualification, 850 people, age groupers, qualified out of 2,200 slots. Um, he thinks e-racing is ripe for cheating, inaccurate body weight entries, non-calibrated equipment, someone else performing the workout, etc. On a personal level for training, no big impact other than no swim due to already doing predominantly all workouts indoor on what bike and treadmill. So I think, yeah, Phil being a race director, you know, the obvious impact for the, the industry is either no races um, or, you know, medium term, I think decreased numbers given people's employment status is going to be tricky for a lot of people um oh, yeah, so yeah. Time. yeah especially you know like we're going to have a pretty big recession after this moment and mm. our sport is a luxury sport it's a very <clears throat> expensive sport for people to do especially for new people into the sport for the people who've got been going it for years it's a bit different because you've got all your gear uh, so it'll be interesting to see the implications of that just john on this when do you think the latest they could cancel kona by Oh, geez, I don't know, but you'd, you'd need to give people, you'd, you'd think um, three months out, I would have thought. So we're thinking probably by about July. Mm. You'd know by July. Yeah. Because mm. that's a hard thing, isn't it? Like, A, no one's qualifying now. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, it's going to be, what a fascinating, because some questions around this is, let's say it does go ahead, where do they fill up those other 1,400 slots? At, at the end of the day, They'll get, they'll get, they'll, they'll go if people the, want to do it. They're, they're going to get a lot of legacy slots that'll that'll go into it. But um, at the end of the day, if you don't, it's not the end of the world if you don't have two thousand two hundred people on the start line for them. Obviously, uh, financially, it's a big impact. But you're still going to, uh, you know, providing things progress, you're still going to have a pro race, and so they're still going to be able to package it up. You'll still have enough stories to come out of it. Um, but you might not have two thousand people on the start line. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating times. John Muncy's got, I'm concerned as to the mental health and well-being of those triathletes whose life completely evolve around the sport. How will they adjust to not being able to just leave the house, not being able to swim at 5am or simply ride their bikes in fresh air? Discipline, structure and the ability to control are all the key elements that most athletes at the pointy end of the field need in their lives. The longer this situation continues, I'm more concerned for them. That's a really great point, John. Totally. I, and my next one, Lucy Gossage, I think this is a really good one. Um, people will find out whether they do triathlon for the right reasons or not. Is their why big enough or are they just doing it because they can? She should do a course on that. Mm, she should. <laughs> uh, Simon Lashmar's got... I going to need to open up his see more. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some post-corona PBs because I'm eating and drinking like it's Christmas. Seriously, though, we're lucky in the UK that we can go out on the bike and run for an hour or two each day. I don't know if they can anymore, can I? I think the UK's got a bit yeah, bad changes <laughs> That was six days ago, so I'm in the world is changing. Now, running with my son four times a week as uh, all of his swimming has been cancelled. Looking at this is like an Ironman. Looking at the positives, don't overthink it, and don't look at the end point. Just a few steps ahead. As far as 2020 for the pros, forget it. Take a year off, get stronger, try something new. 2021, you'll smash it. Uh, Kevin MacArthur, we're all going to get faster because we're finally doing our strength and conditioning. Now we're in lockdown. Ben Colbert's got, I think 
going to affect the business involved in the events. The athletes are okay, pros or higher up of age groupers are in different category as no racing, no income, but athletes contact on hold, contract on hold. Business struggles are struggling, so hence less support available for funding with current and new athletes. Events struggling with lots of income and funding from sponsors and governments going to hit everyone hard in 2020. And that's a really good point, actually, because the NRL, the big rugby league organisation in Australia and New Zealand, is going through massive financial problems right now. And one thing I was listening to one of their podcasts the other day, and a guy called Gus Gold, who's quite a famous commentator in the league, is just talking about, well, A, they've got no money, but all the sponsors are going to have no money next year. You know, mm. all, the, all the sponsors who give their money towards the sport, that, that disappears as well. And that's going to be a big problem for a lot of pros because, you know, let's be honest, they make the top pros probably make just as much, if not more, from their sponsorship dollar. Mm, totally. Dave Doughty, uh, we're going to see virtual racing take off together with new forms of virtual racing meetups, etc. Very good point. I'll have a couple of comments on that shortly. Uh, Arnold's got uh, Ironman giving 70.3 slots on e-races, no Kona in 2020, and two races in 2021. That's a good point. Uh, ban of multi-spay usage of sponge cups and no Collins Cup. Mm. Uh, the last one I'll do, how towel, uh, no drug testing going on. <laughs> so all those guys that are taking oh, drugs, is fr it's free yeah, reign at the moment. You can <laughs> just go it. nuts. Um, I'll finish with Roger Thomas. Uh, he's got Thompson, sorry. Damn, I wish I was an investor in Swift. Totally agree with that. That yeah. Swift is going nuts. And I'll have a few comments on that later in the show as well because I've been playing around with all sorts of things. Any other kind of points you thought of, John? Um, I'm kind of – I've just got a slightly more optimistic view in terms of the hopes that I think will come out of this is maybe – People will band together a bit more in terms of the triathlon community in terms of thinking, holy crap, I need to volunteer a bit more to actually keep the sport uh, alive and help out race directors and make sure things actually happen. So I'm kind of hopeful on that, that we actually band together as a, a community. Um, also that people may consider actually racing a bit more locally um, more often. And again, just keeping the, the sport alive on a local level, level because realistically, um, especially for us Kiwis being so isolated, the chances of us traveling anywhere this year is looking uh, increasingly unlikely um, so we might get back to normal as a country for us and other countries might do the same around the world but traveling um, further afield might be uh, might be a little bit tricky and the other point I was going to make was around Dave Doughty in terms of what he said about more virtual racing so we'll see an announcement on this later in the week from Ironman with regards to what age groupers can do and what they are going to do in terms of pro racing um, but I think this is it opens up a really exciting opportunity that could be really interesting not necessarily for age groupers but for pros doing virtual racing not uh in in their own little worlds but coming together and having like a a massive big room or a swimming pool or a venue where they get 20 pros together and they're going head to head on on smart trainers or whatever i think could be really really interesting and that's where we could see some innovation in terms of you know adding in koms or just just changing the um face of the sport a bit and making it a bit more e-racing e i think could be could be really interesting john i've never got into the onto the kind of technology with the bikes and you're on swift and you're on a pack if you're at the back of the pack is it easier 
Yes, yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, there's a, uh, so I did it as with race the other day, and when you're riding within the group, they've got some sort of algorithm, and uh, and it's easier than being in the group than it is uh, off the front. I wrote another um, sort of app yesterday called uh, RGT, I think it was, and that gives you like a percentage score as how well you're drafting. So if you're right up somebody's jack seat or right on their wheel, you're going to get a bigger assistance than if you're f- further away. So that does exist. Um, John, I tell you what, you get busted for drafting straight away, which I hadn't actually thought about. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Uh, although they could do it too. There was no drafting because you just do it so there's no advantage. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, I think I think the implications of being a bit of a kind of devil's advocate here, I think actually this time will make the richer get richer and the poor get poorer. I think that um, f- for a small period of time, like, like admittedly not, New Zealand looks like it seems what's going to happen in New Zealand is it does seem like things are going okay at this stage and hopefully next month we'll know if we've got rid of it pretty much in New Zealand and then we're just going to lock our country down until there's a until there's a remedy ultimately. Um, but a lot of races can't afford to survive two years without, without what's going to happen. And so then what's going to happen is the people who have been able to survive through this, which are people who have had lots of money in their pockets, will be the ones that actually get out the other side and will still have a market, will still be in the market. So unfortunately, a lot of the smaller races, which are kind of the iconic races, which kind of live hand in mouth, are probably going to disappear. And then Iron Man, the bigger brands, who have got a bit more money behind them, can, won't like this period, but can get through it, is ultimately could probably will end up in a stronger place. Yeah, time will tell. God, it's a fascinating time, isn't it? Um, I also think that mental health stuff as well. I just think that's a really interesting part of what we're going through right now because for a lot of triathletes, their sport is an escapism and it's that one thing that makes them feel good in their life and suddenly you've got a lot of time so you have to confront other areas of your life and that's a good thing and I think you should embrace that but it's just something we need to be aware of as well. Mm. Okay, this week's discussion. Who is inspiring you to keep active during the lockdown and what are they doing? Next week's show, apart from this discussion that we're obviously going to have next week, we're going to talk less about COVID-19 and more, more positive things in the world. Yeah, it's hard not to, but isn't it? I know, it is hard not to. Yeah, this is the time. Okay, let's do Age Group. One, two, three, Age, age Group of the Week. And, and good old uh, Steve the Storm, how did I say that last name, John? Deodonis. Deodonis sent through this one. Uh, I want to submit an Age Group of the Week. My training and racing partner, Aaron Robinson, uh, is an amazing multi-sport athlete that knows how to hurt. Last year, qualified for the Worlds at the USAT Age Group Draft Legal National Championships. Before that, won the Santa Cruz Triathlon, a sub 5 70.3 athlete, and a sub-11 uh, Ironman athlete that plays pool hockey in his spare time and is starting to bike race as of late. Back in 3-1, Aaron, and Aaron was a key in team masochist triathletes uh, Aaron and I finishing uh, Ottawa how do you no. say Ertler Ertler uh, God how do you the Ertler race in Atal, Atala Atala um, the Ertler water race was roughly 40 k's in length 32 k's of running over 8 sections and 8 k swimming over 7 sections so it sounds like a bit of a what, what is it what John, John the mountain sales does yeah, swim run. So some people call them Ertler, some people call it uh, Brecker, some That's people call it swim run. This race was like any 
other endurance event we'd ever done. Relying on your partner late in the race to remind you to fuel, pick up your cadence, let's run until the right bend uh, and keep the power up that hill. That quote comes up quite a few times. In triathlon, especially long distance Ironman racing, it's you against the clock and potentially other age groupers. At Ertler, it is you against the current, the wind, the swells, the hills, all of nature, you and your partner. An amazing race with an amazing partner. Our Robinson is our, should be our age group of the week. Love your work. He is. So, so um, the one area, I know a lot of people do the, the Brecker, the Ertler, the Swim Run events now, and they do sound pretty funky, because and it's cool because you get to do it as a team. Yeah. There is the, the American Triple T, which is can be done in a similar fashion if you want to go down the triathlon path where you do race as a team. Um, we have Coast to Coast in New Zealand where you do can race as a, as a tandem, so you, you know, you're one and two together. So I agree, it's, uh, it's a funky way to race, and uh, maybe it's an opportunity further down the track again to try to innovate our sport and, and bring that um bring that in a little bit more having you know two and three person teams as you go as you go through an event but uh yeah it's good to have a teammate good to have somebody to encourage you because so much of our game is you know being out there being self-focused thinking you know just always breaking the race down thinking i've got to get to this next point getting to this next point uh but then when you've got a teammate on your side giving you encouragement that also helps that teammate because I know if I was in that situation and I'm saying I'm running along with you, Bevan, next to me saying, "Right, Bevan, you know, lift up your knees," then I'm instinctively going to do the same thing as well. So, cool, cool way to race. So go try one of these races out uh, if you get one in your neck of the woods. And also, it's just that thing of that shared experience, isn't it? You know, when mm. you, you know, in triathlon, you often have a shared experience with your training crew because you're training towards a race and you all have your individual day but you don't tend to have the, the key moment together as a crew. And so it's quite cool in a sport, which is quite individual, to have this experience where you're using skills from triathlon to have a, like, that's a life bond you have. They'll remember that for the rest of their lives. Mm. You know, even if their, their relationship kind of goes in different directions, 20 years from now they'll see each other and they'll kind of have that core cool experience. So, so thanks for sending that through, Steve. Aaron Robinson, you are our age, age guru of the week. week. I go, John, we've got an interview coming up. Who have we got? We have got Helen Davis. We're going to be talking how to mentally prepare yourself for your upcoming races. Okay, here is Helen Davis right now. Okay, guys, um, you heard from Lucy Gossage a few weeks ago. We had a fantastic chat to her about uh, where she's at and also Iron Mind, which she's sort of been co-presenting with today's guest, Helen Davis. So Helen is sort of the the the, the engine behind this, um, what's come out in terms of this sort of six-module um, course you can go through in terms of getting mentally strong for you know, race day when that when that is going to roll around. But I I kind of think this is a, a really fantastic tool for people to be going through and, and figuring out why they do triathlon and, and making sure that you're you're mentally prepared for for race day. So really good uh, six course module you can you know work your way through. And um, so Helen, welcome along to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Um, now before we sort of crack into um, a few mental sort of conditioning ideas that, that you've got tell us a bit about your background and uh how you've sort of come to be where you are now well i, I guess i i always sort of describe myself as three things really to people uh one is uh, a swimmer one is uh, a teacher and one is a sports psychologist and i kind of uh, describe them in that order because they're sort of in the order that i've i've done the things um i i say swimmer because i learned to swim when i was about seven years old and it's been a huge part of my life um throughout my 
childhood, my teenage years, and I still swim and compete now. Um, it's very much in my blood swimming. Uh, I've been a teacher. I trained to be a teacher, having done a psychology degree, um, and I worked as a primary school teacher for 25 years, teaching children ranging from sort of five up to 12 years old uh, in primary schools in the UK. And then sports psychology is something that I've come to slightly later in my life. Uh, when I was turned 40, I felt that I, although I enjoyed being a teacher, I still felt there was another job out there for me. And say so sport had been a huge part of my life. And I'd done a psychology degree many years ago. And throughout my life, I'd, I'd kind of dab dabbled in various psychological techniques and tried things out. And it was really uh, actually meeting Lucy Gossage and training with Lucy Gossage and Susie Cheatham, um, another famous Ironman athlete, mm -hmm. um, that really got me um, interested in training to be a sports psychologist. Um, so I, I sort of bit the bullet and decided to do it and uh, got, got the qualification a few years ago and have been working as a sports psychologist ever since. The, the big question I've got is, can you kick Lucy uh, Gossage's butt in the pool uh, and any of the other sort of famous Ironman people? Can I what? Sorry, in the pool. Can, can you kick Lucy's butt in the pool? Like? <laughs> I can imagine Lucy shouting yes, actually, down the phone, <laughs> down the phone to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, Lucy, as she readily admits, swimming is not her strongest uh, discipline. However, she is actually a very good swimmer compared to the average person. Um, yeah. I come from much more of a swimming background than Lucy. I've done a, a many more hours of training in the pool and a lot more competing in the pool than Lucy. So, um, yeah. yes, very, we did train together, but um, I am quicker. <laughs> very humble answer. In your day-to-day -day work, how much is it, is it kind of reactive versus like reactive counselling versus kind of proactive, you know, with the people you're working with. Yeah, I I think actually there's 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 quite a good balance really between the people that I work with. A lot of people do come to me with kind of reactive you know they've got an issue they feel that something's holding them back with their performance um they come and say look I, I i've identified that this is something that i think is is limiting me in some way and i haven't really looked at my psychology before and i think it's maybe a mental thing that's holding me back so please could you help please could you support um and then we would you know have conversations and work 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 our way through that um I do also um, have clients who come to me and they sort of say, you know, I, I know that there are so many pieces of a puzzle that make up performance and psychology is something that I've not really tapped into before. I think I'm doing okay, um, but I want to get better at it. I'd like to discuss with you what I do and see if you can give me any ideas or strategies that might, might help me um, get better. So I would say that there, um, that there is a real range um, of people that come in various different levels of sport um, and, and people just seeking ways to improve their performance. Mm. Well, one, one thing that I thought might be really interesting to discuss today, because I put the question to Lucy um, when we spoke to her a few weeks ago, because we both raced uh, 2014 in the Hawaii Ironman, and both of us had uh, very poor performances. And I sort of said, you know, how do you deal with disappointing results? And she, she didn't have a, a, a straight answer straight away going, I do this, this and this. And so I thought, you know, there's so many of us that have, you know, bad races and, and often really dwell on those. So I thought that might be quite interesting um, to sort of work through from, from a mental perspective. So um, I don't know, do you have any sort of um, processes you think athletes in general should try to work through from a, from a mental side of things 
on those days where you have a shocker um, and yeah, what sort of some processes people can work on? I think the first um, thing I would say is to work on would be to learn to manage your emotional reaction to a failure. So we, we know that we we will fail and things will not go well for us and we will get setbacks in our performance. That's the nature of sports. Um, but the first step really is to start noticing what kind of things you say to yourself and how you say it. Uh, the reason um, I, I start off with that is because it's really um, listening to yourself and getting a self-awareness of, of what you're like. Because very often we talk to ourselves in a very different way to how we would maybe talk to, you know, a friend or a fellow athlete who's maybe had a disappointment. Um, so again, first thing, listen to, to what you say. So, you know, are you the kind of person that says, you know, I'm an idiot, you know, I've got to give up, this is rubbish. And listen particularly to the language because the words that you use and the thinking that you have will have a big impact upon your emotion and how you feel about it and your behavior. And also the second thing I would say is notice are you holding on to any beliefs that might be unrealistic? Um, belief systems you know, are, are really important to try and identify. And again, this takes time and practice, but these are the sorts of things that I would work on with somebody. So a belief system that you might have is that actually you're saying to yourself, you know, I must be everybody in this race. And you've been holding on to that belief. So when you don't then meet that belief, um, you know, you, you, you beat yourself up about it more because you've you've had this belief that that's what the expectation was that you really thought that you should do, or I must succeed every time I race. And if you're holding on to those beliefs they can sometimes be limiting you in terms of performance so I would definitely say those are two things that will be my starting points with people mm. um, what, what's the most common uh, in terms of the responses you see most commonly happening and, and you sort of talked about um, yeah just this negative thing but what, what are some of the because everybody doesn't know what's going on in other people's minds but what are some of the common things that you see coming out um post-race you know time and time again um well people people beating themselves up a lot you know people mm. being very harsh and critical about their performance picking up on everything that went wrong and rarely picking up on the things that went right so even if we have you know it, you you deem your performance to be a failure or it hasn't gone well people have a tendency to pick up on all the things that 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 didn't go well for them and actually What's a more helpful way of trying to turn it around is to say, OK, I had a shocker, I had a bad performance, but what can I take from the performance and what can I learn from it? And actually, elite athletes are particularly good at doing this when they do research, um, you know, sports psychologists look at elite performers and the mindset that they have that they they get much better at turning things around turning their thinking around trying to use more positive self-talk and think okay well that didn't work but at least I gave it a go and that their self-talk is much more constructive and proactive um, to enable them to develop more helpful belief systems and that having that type of thinking will make them feel better when things then don't go according to plan um, and if they feel better, then they're more likely to be more motivated to try and do better the next time. One of the um, the points that Lucy made, she put a comment on our Facebook page this week as well, is um, around the the why. And she keeps going, the why, why do, and why do you do this sport? Um, can you maybe explain a bit more about how people can 
<clears throat> develop that understanding of why they do a sport. And in, in, the, in the current climate we're in, is probably quite important to do that. But it can be quite a, a scary proposition when you really start peeling it back. So can you maybe explain a bit around exploring your sort of why yeah, I mean, I think at the moment in the current climate that we are in, it's a really good opportunity for people to explore their why. I mean, <clears> I know with the athletes, since all, all of this has kind of happened, the athletes that I've been speaking to, there is a huge amount of opportunity for people to really get a sense of how they're feeling about not doing their training as they are usually. You know, some people might be quite relieved, you know, because maybe things hadn't been going well for them they didn't actually want to perform and they're actually quite enjoying a rest whereas other people are feeling really really disappointed you know so learning why you do something really gives you a clear sense of purpose to focus your efforts when it matters most so particularly now where you know our, our systems that we normally have in place and our routines have been thrown thrown into doubt, thro thrown up into we, we can't um, actually do some of the, um, the sporting training that we normally do, is, is why am I doing it? Um, and when you really know that, it will help drive you forward. So it will enable you to take more risks maybe and push forward, you know, regardless of whether you the odds or obstacles in your way. So particularly for, for right now, that kind of, knowing why you have your passion for your sport can drive your engagement which ultimately will drive your performance um it, it will help you strive to, to to completion of whatever it is that you want to do and, and that's why i think we're particularly seeing a lot of athletes at the moment really being adaptable to well how can i make this work for me what can i do to to, to try and better myself you know particularly um, i'm having athletes you know saying well I, i've now got time to invest in some psychology you know um i can now maybe invest that time in the mental side of the sport that I haven't really had a chance to do before because I've been so busy physically training, but actually this might be another piece of the puzzle that might help me with my performance. So just two questions around this. First of all, um, some people, you know, it's like passion. Some people think, that I, don't, I can't find my passion, I don't know what my passion is. Do you ever get people who just don't know what their why is? And then secondly, what happens when people discover that their why is actually no longer that motivating for them? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, people who, their why can change, right? And I think having a flexible why is absolutely fine. People are motivated for different reasons at different times in their lives. And there comes a stage where some people actually think, do you know, my why is not enough anymore. And actually, I want to, you know, develop new ideas, go in a different direction having an enforced period of time out now like we have may bring you opportunities for people where they think well I thought triathlon was the thing for me but actually I'm really enjoying doing this instead um and I think being flexible around that is, is a good thing um it, it keeps you your eyes open it keeps you you know kind of on your toes and um helps you to to work harder at the things that really really matter to you it's, it's actually a really good point because um, you often see in triathlon when people first start out there, why is quite prominent and, and it's quite a driver for them in their lives. And then the sport becomes a habit and it's not a bad habit to have in their life, but they're actually not fulfilling the why anymore. Um, and the question is, do you need to reassess that to actually find high level of motivation or is it that the why needs to be in another area of your life? I actually think it's funny. I do actually see some athletes who I think are very good at what they do and very talented at what they do, and they get a lot of success from what they do. 
if you said to me, do they really love it? I would question it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really fascinating thing because you can be really good at something and people enjoy success. People enjoy getting positive feedback from things. And that, that can be a driver, that kind of external reward, you know, the, you know, the medal that you get, the the t-shirt that you get. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so they can be drives for people. And again, if that is somebody's driving force, then then that's okay. But I think knowing knowing your drivers, and I think if things get tough or adversity comes your way, it's those people that maybe fall fall down a bit more or actually lack the motivation because they don't have that passion behind it. Whereas the combination of having the the passion behind it i think is more of a driving force ultimately in the long longer term and when adversity ha- comes your way mm-hmm. so it can can be quite a, a scary proposition to go through this but i couldn't agree more and and I, when i as i think about this for me personally you know i know my why has changed a lot over the years so from from when i was at school you know the why if i really you know went back it was you know it gives you attention when you do well at things um it gives yeah it gives you status but that's changed a lot as i've gone through through the years and the why that i do it do it now is is vastly different to what it was in my 20s or in my teens etc so guys this might be a little bit scary to do but uh you'll come out stronger on on the other side um one one thing that I uh, is really hard to deal with for a lot of people, and I, and I see this a lot from from coaching, is you know when I get people to write race plans down, often the comments that I see there are really negative, and you know that that's going to cross over to race day, and and people can get in a very negative um, mind space uh, when they're in the, the you know the back half of the race, or if something comes comes up. So maybe can you just delve a little bit into Iron Mind um, and and some of the processes that people can sort of go through when they get those negative thoughts coming into their into their mind um, on race day, uh, how they can actually deal with those. So it's, for me, it goes back to being pro- proactive with your, with your mindset and psychology, and th- and that um, comes down to preparation. So I would like to think that if I'm working with somebody in the lead up to a race, that they accept that they may have some negative thoughts. Um, I think it's totally normal when we're under pressure, when we um, are faced with, you know, a big challenge that it's natural that we that we're going to have doubt. You know, doubt is a natural part of performance. However, I do think if you are well prepared that the athletes that I work with would know exactly what to do when that moment happens, that they are prepared for it and they have thought about certain things that maybe they will think about certain consistency of approach that they will have that gives them a go-to place so this is a lot of what what one work we were working on with people in iron mind and it's um th- through the videos as we go through it's sort of this build-up effect or i like to think that there's a build-up effect that that and, t- and when you get to the final video, it's kind of drawing all of those things together. So it's looking at the vulnerable moments that you might potentially have in a race and where you know and learning from past experiences where you might be more vulnerable for negative thinking and what you can then do in that moment to help you. And there's all kinds of tools and techniques uh, that we talk through um, again it's very much, you know, one size does not fit all with psychology. One thing might work for one person one day, it might not work for another. But I like to think there's a whole host of things with an eye in mind that gives people ideas to try out. 
I always say to people, you know, don't just dismiss something if it doesn't work first time. Try it again, because all the techniques in there are all evidence based. They come from research on athletes. The athletes have said that these have made a difference. They do work. Um, and it, and it, it's about finding the things that work for you and trying them out and seeing if they make a difference. Because a lot of athletes are just going to be are going to try to use the avoidance strategy, aren't they? In terms of, you know, this that they know that things are potentially going to go go wrong, and they kind of their strategy is, I just I hope that doesn't happen, and they don't actually mentally prepare, whether it be mentally something that they're worried about, or or some other practicality, whether it be a puncture, mechanical, etc. I think a lot of people just tend to sweep it under the carpet and hope like hell it's not going to happen. But what you're kind of saying is, prepare for every you know, negative outcome that might uh, might eventuate. Absolutely. You, you kind of are leaving yourself exposed under pressure if you have no plan. Mm. You know, so, you know th- there are going to be things that are going to de- derail you, particularly in a, in a, a, you know, a longer race like a triathlon. Um, so it's anticipating those and preparing for them. You know, go, just, just like in the workplace, you know, if you've got a presentation to do, you, you want to go in feeling prepared so usually you do some planning behind it you kind of know the structure of what you're going to do you kind of know how you're going to run things and it's the same with it with a race um the, the more you can incorporate some strategies that you can give yourself if you know that you find it particularly hard when you first start the run you know and you come off the bike you know have a consistent plan that you're going to use there and try it out in a number of different events and see how it works for you i think one thing that's I'm really- Sorry, yeah. just the one thing that to really reinforce, Helen, is this is work, this is effort. You do need to commit to actually doing this work. I think a lot of people will like, well, they'll read a book or something and they think that's a good idea and they apply maybe 10% of it, but, you know, like something like your course, you actually, they are designed to sit down, do the work and practice a skill that you're developing like you would with your swim stroke. Absolutely, and there are... You know, there are downloadable PDFs that go with each video. I think there's there's on average about three to four per video. And I would really encourage people to do those activities. And I would certainly say in my work, you know, I tend to give kind of homework tasks and things for, for clients to do. And they always come back and say, I'm so glad that you got me to write that down because I could kind of see it laid out in black and white. There was, you know, it, it tells a story. There's a picture there when, 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 you, when you do these things and you learn so much more about yourself by committing to put pen, pen to paper. So I would, I would certainly encourage people to try and follow those. It also then gives you a reference point to refer back to when you come, you know, come to doing your race. So of course, at the moment, there are no races, right? But, but, but this can be used for, for, for preparation. And if you do the exercises, you've then got those things that you can look back over when the time comes and remind yourself of, you know, what you thought would be good for you at the time, a cognitive restructuring phrase that you particularly used or a particular um, keyword that you thought would make a difference and, 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 and use it again to, to, to revise from and, and, and plan your approach for that race. Um, as we go, uh, probably just one final sort of question, as we're, as we're sort of going through this tricky time, you know, have, uh, what sort of generic advice have you been trying to give to people that are, sort of just struggling away, their races have been cancelled um, and is there any sort of common themes or, or common advice you're just trying to give to people at the moment as they, as they sort of battle through? Yes, I mean, I you know, I've been speaking to a lot of athletes who are extremely, you know, sad and disappointed that their events have been cancelled and I think the first thing to say is that 
you know, we, we are all, uh, myself included, um, experiencing a wide range of, of emotions as a result of this. Um, you know, it, it's like the rug has been sort of pulled from under our feet in terms of our, our usual established routines that we have. And it's absolutely kind of natural, I think, that we all will experience different emotions um, around that time. I mean, the second thing to say, I think at the moment, is there's no kind of, there's no end point, really. There's no event that we know is definitely going to be happening. And we're in this huge period of uncertainty. So, you know, I've been working with a lot of athletes about trying to to work around their thinking to try and um, help them to cope with that uncertainty and and to give themselves some routines that they're doing to try and help themselves maintain their levels of fitness. I think as also with uncertainty, people have a tendency to, to future think and to future think at the moment, I think can you know, could raise anxiety levels in people because we'd be asking ourselves lots of questions about the future and we actually just don't know the answers at the moment. So I'm very much talking to people about trying to keep things as present as possible. You know, what can I do today? You know, what am I going to do this afternoon? What am I going to do this weekend? And just keeping keeping sort of life in small chunks at the moment so it feels more manageable and we can feel more in control of it. Awesome. Um, look, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing your, your course. Um, I thought it was really just practical. I love the rationality around it from a coaching point of view. I love that you can actually, people are just going to take their planning a bit more seriously. Um, and I just think it's a fantastic tool for everybody um, out there to give a crack. So well done on getting it together. Um, Bevan and I have both done it. So um, we're sort of preaching um, what, we, what we've enjoyed. So nice work. And uh, before we got to go, what's your, what's, your, what's your swimming PBs in terms of um, <laughs> your, your freestyler, backstroker, IMA? Do you know, I'm actually a breaststroker and, and my goal for uh, the next few month, months was to try and break the British record in my age group. Oh. Uh, I, I'm within 0.5 of it, or wow. I currently was in 0.5 of it. So that's, that is my big goal for the year, which, as you can imagine, uh, is uh, it's slightly gone out of the window now. But um, <laughs> I've thought of myself a very large paddling pool that's a metre deep for my garden, so I can hopefully try and get, <laughs> get into some water. Nice. <laughs> A swim, swim, swim cords around the world, I think, got sold out within a few days. Um, yeah. So swim, swim cords are one thing people can do. Awesome, Helen. We love your work. Yeah. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing, hopefully, your name in the uh, the, the British record books uh, maybe sometime later in the year or next year. Well, it's great to speak to you both. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for your time. Okay, John... We've, uh, we've, we're doing this bit before we do the interview. We're sure it's amazing. Check out the website. Remember, the website is thinkbelieveperform.co.uk and slash iron-mind. I'll put a link to it in iamtalk.me. Uh, there is a discount code, which is iamtalk. You put that in the discount code box. It gives you a bit of discount. You've done the course. I've actually done the course as well. I think that it's a great course. Yeah, absolutely. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, really, really covers some really cool things. Okay, John, let's do the Wanger of the Week. Wanger of the Week this week. It's quite interesting when you go through the Wanger of the Week, and there are still some people still swimming. Good old Louis Di Giuseppe, he's cranking out 22 hours of training last week. He uh, Three hours, he managed to get some swimming in. Yeah, but the, the, most people in their swimming column is uh, very little or zero. So plenty of biking moderate amount of running most people's running columns are pretty light as well but plenty of biking going on so the number i'm pulling up john is 60 60 any significance of that because i've put a challenge out to my runners 
Level 1, I got to run 20Ks for our beginners. Level 2, 40Ks. And level 3, 60Ks. I ran 60Ks in the last 7 days. This year, I've probably ran 20Ks all year. So it's a bit of a shock to the system. That's all I'm going to say, John. <laughs> it's good old Matt Sheaf from uh, Auckland. And uh, again, Matt's, I've got a request to follow him. But in terms of Matt's profile over the last four weeks, he's been averaging six rides a week, averaging, uh, that's me actually, averaging six rides, not Matt. Uh, Matt, Matt has, <laughs> Give your stats out. <laughs> yeah, Matt's been averaging three three rides per week. Let's see if Matt's doing any swimming up there in Auckland. He managed one. He did a 723 metres, but that... Uh, uh, that's been in the last four weeks. So he he and I have both swum once in the last four weeks. Uh, in a couple of weeks, that's going to go down to zero. Uh, Matt's biggest climb that he's ever done was 763 metres, and his biggest ride is 181.7. So I guess that's in preparation for a race. So nice work, Matt. You are our wanger of the week. Okay, John, let's do the – actually, let's go. Let's pause, and we'll go questions and answers after that. John, we are back, and we're going to, what we're going to do right now is the next Legends of Triathlons comes out tomorrow. That will be the 1st of April. It's no April Fool's joke, John. Um, <laughs> and it's with Dave Scott, one of the greatest legends of our sport of all time, the number one equal winner of Kona in men's mm. race. No one's won it more than either Dave or Mark Allen. Great interview. So we thought we'd just chuck the first 10 minutes in for you guys to have a listen. Jump on over to Legends of Triathlon. If you aren't subscribed to the podcast, go to your podcatcher. It's on all the bank podcatchers. Um, and you can make sure you download and subscribe to the show. If you haven't listened to the old episodes, go back because there's some really old content from a lot of the legends in the game. And unfortunately, some of them have passed away since we've done the interview. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the... Those long-form interviews are such a great way to get deeper insight. Uh, and so check it out, Legends of the Triathlon. Here is 10 Minutes with Dave. To go. Alrighty, hi guys. So we've got uh, number four of the big four on today. So Legends of Triathlon, we've got Dave Scott. He's, as you, a lot of you should hopefully know, uh, multiple Ironman champions six times, as well as plenty of podiums over there. First uh, ever inductee into the Ironman Hall of Fame and just a general legend that we've been looking oh, forward to having legend. on the show. So welcome along to the show, Dave. Thank you much. Thanks for having me. Well, quite an honor to be with the Elite Two. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, Melina's been giving us some, me some info, inside information on you, so we've got a few things to ask you about the, the early days. But one of the things I'm, I'm really keen to hear about is, uh, is sort of before triathlon. I know you were into your swimming, so maybe just tell us about um, the pre-triathlon days and your, your sporting endeavors before you got stuck into tri. Well, I, my swimming, uh, contrary to what Scott Malina told you, it was pretty rough. Uh, in the States, I swam in Division Two, uh, which is kind of the lower tier. The Division One are really the, the best swimmers. Uh, my, my background, I was actually a better water polo player, and that was kind of my, my skill. Uh, I was All-American in college and water polo, and uh, my last year in high school as well. It was kind of a new sport. And uh, kind of a jack of all trades. I always thought I was a better basketball player or golfer. Uh, used to play, <laughs> used to play used to play golf. I lived on a golf course, and I started speed golf when I was a kid. I used to run around, and play five holes or nine holes barefoot, and uh, played in tournaments. And uh, but really, my uh, my high school years, I, I played basketball. I played a little bit of American football and water polo and swam and then in college uh it was water polo and swimming all four years while i was in college we started running just to stay in, in shape and uh i 
seemed to have a knack, at least with a lot of the lumbering swimmers and water polo players. They weren't very good runners, but I, I could handle them pretty easily. And I never had a car until I was about 25. So every my mode of transportation was a bike, and I, I thought I was darn fast on a bike. So the early years, uh, just after college, there was a lot of makeshift events. There was open water swims. Um, I lived in California at the time, and I did I did a number of open open water swims in San Francisco area and, and Santa Cruz, which are popular uh, shark areas, but also swimming areas. <laughs> and uh, and then there was a, uh, a run swim event. Actually, Scott Molina, I, I thought it actually won. I didn't even see him. He was so far in the lead. And I actually have a picture of this. He was 15 years old. I was 21. Nice. And it was South San Francisco. He won overall. I, I won whatever my division was in. And that was one of the early kind of multi-events that I did, uh, run swims. And there was a bike uh, swim event that I did early on. 1978 uh, was the first year of Ironman, and I was on the island. I had competed in the Waikiki Roughwater Swim, which is the original uh, swim leg of the Ironman course. And in 78, 79, it was held on Oahu in Honolulu. The race director at the time, John Collins, presented me with a piece of paper about the event, and I was <laughs> intrigued by it. I thought it was over three days initially, but I, he clarified one one day. And then there was an article in Sports Illustrated after the 79 event. And that kind of piqued my interest. I said, well, I like to work out. I um, seem to be pretty manic about exercising every day. And and I don't know what my comparative uh, scale was, but I seemed not to fatigue like a lot of the other athletes, even you know doing multiple disciplines uh, during the day. So it was 1980, uh, late 79, I committed to doing the January 1980 Ironman, which was the third year event, and that really kind of started my career. So before, you, before, you go, before we go into sort of where the tri-career started, the other area of interest, and this probably carries on through the, the early part of your tri-career, um, you often got referred to somebody who just wanted to be stay in Davis, California, and and, uh, and you avoided that sort of shift to, to Boulder for a, for a long, long time. Um, and a lot of people thought that was because, you know, you wanted to be by yourself and you're a hard ass. But I was reading an article the other day on, on how you developed the, the sort of the master's swim program down there. So maybe tell us a bit about, about um, how that developed and had this triathlon thing not expanded, would, would that likely have been where you stayed? Uh, well, I went to school at, at UC Davis, uh, and you know I enjoyed the community. I started the master swim program when I was a sophomore in college, and um, the master swim program in the states was underway. It was kind of in its infancy, and and it was really just for you know older people to get together and have an or- organized, structured workout. So I. Started that when I was 19 or 20, and and it blossomed pretty quickly. I eventually got pool space within the city, and we added a second workout, a third workout, fourth workout. And and by the end of the second year, I think I had 350 people that were swimming uh, pretty regularly. Uh, At one time, I had 10 one-hour workouts during the day, and I had to hire assistant coaches. So it it was kind of the right environment, right time. Uh, Davis is a very athletic community, and and I was – uh, still in school and and uh, trying to <laughs> trying to study and exercise and then also run this master's program and and I I kind of found a a keen knack to uh, to teach I I actually started as a swim instructor when I was 15 with young kids 
and kind of segued into this master's program. And so I started doing this in my early 20s while I was doing these other multi-events that I just mentioned. But you alluded to, you know, why not go to Boulder? Boulder didn't really have any triathlon presence when I started. There was no triathlon uh, <laughs> a focal point in Boulder. There was a group in San Diego that had started the event and Scott Tinley and uh, was, you know, part of the, the mainstay of that particular group. And Mark Allen came along and, and then Scott Molina went down there and there, the, it kind of flourished in San Diego. I went out to Boulder. Uh, my sister lived out here and I thought, wow, this is a pretty unique place. It's got big mountains and it just seemed to, uh, be the perfect environment to train, but there really wasn't a group at the time when I first started. And, and I had no, I had no desire to go to San Diego. People said, well, why don't you go down to San Diego? And I said, well, my home is Davis. You know, I have family and friends there. And I, I always felt like it was kind of a myopic, uh, hermit-like existence, to, you know, to just be a triathlete. I thought, well, this isn't going to be a career. I've got to do other things. But the irony of that statement is that a lot of people depicted me, and you sort of alluded to it as well, that, you know, I just stayed in this little tiny city and, and trained by myself. I didn't have a choice. There weren't other people. I trained with a friend of mine who was a physician and he was like bait for me. You know, we'd go out and do a ride and I'd try to track him down and, or, you know, catch him on the, you know, the last two K of a run or whatever. We'd play all these crazy games or get in the pool and I, and I do 500s and he'd do 400s. Uh, but I, the, the hermit like gesture about Dave Scott is such a, misrepresentation of my uh, persona and my personality. I always found that that particular comment was quite offensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, a, a hermit doesn't really have a, a really redeeming <laughs> connotation to it. And I thought, well, that's the farthest thing from the truth. You know, I'm actually outgoing. I, once in a while I have a sense of humor. And, you know, I just thought, golly, how did they come up with that? And, you know, it kind of pissed me off when I would hear that statement and it's kind of stayed with me like oh during your early life Dave you just trained Davis by yourself well the reason is that, that was my home and no one else was doing the sport yeah. so it's a pretty simple answer okay John it's so questions and answers. Answers. is this one from Jumbo uh, oh, we'll leave it nameless for now but he said a good mate of mine was told he was in the 2021 uh, Conan Legacy start list back this year um, got this email last week in order to accommodate this change in our qualifying series we are not offering legacy slots to 2021 Ironman World Championships um, so what they're really trying to do this year with the legacy program is they're trying to get as many athletes as possible to go for the 2020 uh, Vega Ironman World Championships and it sounds to me like there's not going to be any legacy slots for 2021 and everybody who was planning on going then is going to have to defer to 2022 which is unfortunate but do you think they're running on that because like, why why wouldn't you have them next year I get that they're trying to push people forward and it's actually if the race goes ahead it's a good opportunity to get the numbers you know backtrack them a little bit hmm. but why, why why not 2021 well, you're probably going to find that in 2021, you're going to have more athletes qualifying for Hawaii because the races that they're postponing to later this year, for example, uh, Ironman Australia, which I think is going to be September 13th or something like that. I think they'll uh, go through to 2021. That, yeah. that will then qualify for the following year. So there'll be less slots available. And uh, who, if the, uh, who, who knows? If it's, 
I'm, I'm giving up on speculating, Bevan. But if there's, if imagine if there's no Ironman World Championships this year, what happens to those 850 people that have already qualified? Was so. it? Was it? Um, who was it in discussion of the week said they might do an early one next year, which would be interesting, who, wouldn't it? Who knows? Let's give up on speculating. Oh, Nobody... that's, that's half the game, John. That's what we do: <laughs> speculate. Now, yeah. did you watch these clips, John? No, I did not. Oh, John, you need to watch these clips. Seriously, I bawled my eyes out. So mm. one of our listeners, a guy called Andrew Roberts and his partner, he didn't actually give me the pattern name, but um, they are ambulance drivers and they're in a show in Australia called Ambulance, God knows what it's called, Ambulance or whatever. It's one of those shows that just follows people around doing their job. Um, and they sent me through, now John, I never cry. Mm. So much so, like I'm such a, I'm very lucky that I'm just not a stressor. And Joe jo said to me the other night, I just don't think you have any emotion because like this time is pretty, there's stress in this time and um, it's very uncertain and who knows what the next moment looks like. But I'm kind of luckily within myself, A, I look after my mental health really well and B, I'm just kind of lucky I've got a pretty good outlook in life. Um, and so, yeah, like I never, like I can't remember the last time I cried. Well, I got really emotional watching this and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but do watch it. It, it. It's I'll put I'll put a link to it in our show notes. Basically, it's showing them doing their work. And the first one's nice, but the second one, oh, oh my god! I, and even when I told, because I, I said, Joe, you watch it. But she's been a bit emotional. She goes, I don't really want to watch something that's that emotional right now. So, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to watch it, but she wouldn't watch it. So we went for a walk a couple of nights ago, and I just started telling her about it. And I even cried when I started mm -hmm. telling her about it. <sighs> So Andrew Roberts, you're a bloody legend. He's a paramedic over in uh, Australia. Oh, you're and I, you I, and your wife, you're a special people. Um, I don't want it because I want people to watch it, and not know much about it. But oh my god, you guys, what you guys do is just so important and so beautiful. It was, it's, oh, John, John, you watch it. If you don't cry, John, you don't have a heart. <laughs> That's right here. Game on. Okay, patrons, John. We've got uh, Roland No Holds Barred has come back onto the show. So he said his triathlon days were around 2009 and 2012 when he did the John Newsome uh, plan. Highlights include doing the Alp Duez Triathlon in 2011, rained all day. That is not the kind of race when you're going up in the Alpine passes where you want it to be raining. That would be horrific. Because they're get... long climbs, aren't they? Well, it's not so much the climbing, it's the descending because you get hot on the climb uh, or you can get cold as you get towards the top, um, but then you're going to freeze on the way down. So he did Alpe d'Huez in 2011 and then did the, Chen, uh, the Challenge Henley full distance race in 2011. Don't think that exists anymore, I don't think. Swam in the river. Um, I previously rode boats on. Cool. He says, I really do triathlons now, but still enjoy biking and running and listening to you guys. So he's attached a picture from his last triathlon he did, which was the Epic Man Yorkshire Triathlon. So loving that people like Roland are coming back on board uh, and supporting the show, which is fantastic. So a couple of other patrons we've got. Um, Michael Diggett Dooley. Adam the King Turner. And Nick, the Admiral Rose, or I call him Nick Nose Rose. Team, if you want to become a patron of the show, and we do really appreciate all the patrons. We've had a couple of people actually up their patron recently, which is really cool to see you guys supporting us. We really appreciate that. Uh, go to www.iamtalk.me. You can also get all the links for today's show, including the clip that will make you cry. And if you don't cry, you don't have a heart. Uh, while you're on the website, you can get this show emailed to you. Just go to the bottom of the page, and the front page, and put your details in. If you're also coaching, check out coachjohnhewson.com. My podcast, Bevan James R. Show, um, also other content, age group of the week, cool websites, other feedback. I am taught podcast at gmail.com. John, what you got? 
Well, I've been, if, uh, I've been doing a lot of riding on my indoor bike. Yeah, you're doing a challenge, aren't you? So I'm doing a 30-day challenge, and uh, the last four or five days I've been trying all different sorts of apps. Some I use regularly, some I don't. Um, but, yeah, I just encourage people. Everybody's jumping on Zwift, and Zwift is fantastic. I did a Zwift race last Friday, and that was awesome because I actually felt, excuse me. <coughs> Getting emotional about it. Yeah, I am. Um, it actually felt like a race. It really did. You know, you, you're going into it and you're going, geez, I feel a little how bit do, nervous. How does it get your stakes? How does it, how does it work so, you, you know, you feel emotionally attached to it? <clears throat> well, um, I just, uh, in terms of how it actually works, you can choose whether you want to race A grade, B grade, C grade, or D grade, which is based on your um, power to weight ratio. So if you're above four watts per kilogram, which I am, then you race A grade. And I think I finished... 37th out of 44 so it wasn't quite last so that's the practicalities of it um <clears throat> then as you said earlier in the show you, you can draft so i knew that before the before the race and you take off and you're trying to sit in groups and we had another guy tyrone that i know and i could see him sitting off the front of the group like 15 seconds out of the road just leaving him out there to try all by himself and we eventually caught him up and i hadn't had to work as hard as he had because uh, i'd been able to sit in the group a bit so you kind of got to take that mindset that it is a bike race rather than, than necessarily an individual time trial where well, you can play it however you want but if you want to finish up as high as possible you need to treat it as a bike race rather than individual time trials so yeah for, in terms of um for me you know i was i was treating it as a race i wanted to do as well as i possibly could with the fitness that i've currently got and so just those emotions of thinking right how am i going to play this what's going to happen if i if everybody takes off and i get dropped and, and i'm by myself uh so it just felt like going into a, a low level local bike race with the, the pressure around it at least that's how it felt for, for me so I, I thoroughly enjoy um, doing some stuff on zwift but what's been really cool of late is just going back and trying all the other different apps out there so i'm a a regular user of trainer road so i did a trainer road session the other day um and then i've tried a few other ones one that i tried yesterday which was very swift like um called rgt um and yeah very similar to swift but you're actually riding on different courses around the world um you can have different views that i kind of enjoyed and so you can go and ride like the stelvio pass um and several other of the really famous passes around the world and the thing that I'm going to try on that one is it sounds like you can actually upload your own um, magic route and you can actually then, then then a route will be created. So I can create some routes from Christchurch and other people can go and ride them. And then this morning I saw Trainer Road have just come out with a new application within their app is where you can actually do group rides and essentially be video conferencing with you know four or five other people. So you can go through that workout and instead of just being like in the Zwift world or, or in, yeah, in some other mates. world, you can be, you've got it, it's taking your video feed and you can actually see how the other people are, are suffering. So, yeah, there's lots going on there. So, if you are just a Zwifter, maybe take a look at some of the other ones. If you follow me um, on either Instagram or Facebook, you can see all the different ones that I've been trying. And uh, yeah, look, I'm finding this 30 rides in 30 days to be motivating because it, um, it just kind of forces you to do something every day that you might not otherwise do and uh, try a few different things. Good fun. Good times, rock and roll. <clears throat> Are you, how's your finding it for your fitness? The last couple of rides have been woeful, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> but the bike race last week was was good. I sort of uh, achieved about what I thought I'd be able to achieve. So, yeah, uh, in 30 days' time, by the time I finish this, my biking's going to be in a better place than when it started. But you have your ups and downs and, you know, carry a bit of fatigue from when you have a hard session. 
what's what you know you live you like like me you work from home um how's your life changed Oh, not drastically. Just it feels like a winter school holidays right now with the kids around and trying to keep them motivated. So I'm still, you know, somewhat fortunate that it might, you know, I've still got work to be doing every day, which is which is not a not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then it's just trying to occupy the kids, which is um, has its moments, but they're they're pretty conscientious most of the time. So if we started the Newsom Olympics, which was their idea. Oh day so they had a game of hockey out the back the other day today i think we're the sun's hopefully going to come out we're going to go and do some athletics events down at the park uh, i'm going to set up a mini golf golf's in the olympics now so nice. we're going to set up a mini golf in the garage and uh the garage well i've got so i let we laid some we've set up a bit of a gym in the garage so we've yeah. we had some spare carpet so i've laid the carpet down we've got the bikes trainers set up um so belinda's even doing some session on the bike and then i've got some carpet laid down we're going to create a little bit of a mini golf course i see you've become a bit of a social media lover now yes you know um, you're well, star. i'm posting something every day and i'm trying to keep it somewhat interesting uh especially when i'm not really biking very much outside so uh we'll see how that that will keep rolling for 30 days after that we'll see what happens Nice. If you do want to get on the 30 uh, and 30 challenge, um, I have created a little Facebook page. I think it was about 40 to 50 people on there. But again, um, just sharing a few experiences on there. And uh, everybody that's getting on it seems to be really enjoying it and finding it quite motivating, especially when you don't know what's around the corner. You kind of feel like you're working towards something. Yeah. And uh, it's also just, you know, you're doing it in a bit of a group environment. So uh, all, the other thing I'll be doing this Friday, New Zealand time, which will be Thursday and other parts of the world is another bike race. Um, and so I'm going to be bike racing every Friday our time. <clears throat> so if you want to get on what there, uh, this week it's going to be 12 o'clock on can Friday. Can people join? <clears throat> yep, anybody who's on Zwift can join. You can get a free one-week um, subscription to, to Zwift if you just want to check it out. Uh, but it'll be 12 o'clock New Zealand time this week, and I'll post it on I'll post it on the I Am Talk Facebook page as well. Um, or otherwise, people can email me and I can send them a link. What's the favourite streaming thing to watch right now? You know, because everyone's watching. As I said before, it's the, the Formula One. Can't oh. get enough of that. It's it's brilliant. There's so much, so many interesting characters, and just learning about the pressure cooker that those guys are under. I can't imagine. Oh. When you're a young 20s person, A, you're a professional athlete. Yeah, they're getting paid millions of dollars, but you, you've got you've got hundreds and hundreds of people riding on your performance uh, when you're out there. And uh, I think it could be, from what I see, it could be done so much better. There's so much friction, so much pressure, and so much infighting within the teams. I think if you took a team approach, geez, I think they might be able to do some, some things quite differently, but geez, it's... Um, it's really tough. They do get paid a shitload, so I haven't. I don't feel that sorry for them. But geez, it's really hard work. It must be interesting when you're in an environment where everyone feels high pressure. You know, because all the mechanics, all the designers, these are all the top of the top, aren't they? You know what I mean? And they all put this kind of pressure mm -hmm. on each other. And, and you know, only one person gets to take home the glory. It's it's a really fascinating kind of dynamic. I've never really worked in an environment like that. Mm. You know. Bim, tell us about your running. What's what's your what's your running? Well, so like for our runners, because we we wanted to keep our, our objective of this time is to keep them motivated and connected. So we kind of came up with the, <coughs> the, the isolation challenge, and basically because we've got different levels, uh, the first level is they have to either walk or run 
or combination of both, 20Ks a week. Uh, the We call that, I've came up with names for them, we call that, what do we call that? We call that Don't Stop Me Now. We've got the I'm Too Sexy for My Run Level, that's if you run 40Ks a week. And then uh, Baby I Was Born to Run is if you run 60Ks a week. And it's, it's a lot of freedom around it. You can put it together however you want to put it together. So there's no real program as such. It's just so people keep active. It's been really successful. Oh my God. They, they have to, we've got private Facebook groups, so they have to put photos up and hashtags and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's been so successful. So many of our runners have signed up to it and I've just said it's been really important for their motivation but the camaraderie because so everyone's doing it so there's real support mm. around it which is awesome it's actually like i'm not big on social media um but times like these with stuff like that it is a really valuable thing like basically i make sure i respond to everybody's posts mm. and every morning i'm spending nearly 80 minutes responding to the posts of our runners because mm. that many people are involved which is awesome which is really great um so i thought well, i need to do it myself so uh mm. and and so day one, I did 13K, day two, I did like 13, 10, 10, 18, and then like another 10. So I got 60K done. But I really haven't ran in, geez, I haven't ran. Like I, I've probably done three runs this year and three mm. 8K runs up Harry Owen back. Um, and by day three, I thought I'd pop my hip. I thought I was going to be in mm-hmm. operation. <laughs> but then it's funny how you keep at it. And I felt pretty good. I went for 10K the other day. I thought I'd push it a little bit. And I did 38, 12 or something. So, um yeah, you know, like I'm lucky that I've always got a really good base fitness. And I actually, you know, like I love running. And uh, it's nice just to be able to get back into it, you know, and get, a, you know, I'm lucky that I can, you know, do 60K and it not mm. be too much of a problem for me. So mm. yeah, I'm very fortunate like that. Um, outside of that. What are you watching? Well, I, I got Joe to watch because she didn't watch any of the Marvel movies. Well, she's probably <laughs> only watched like two of them. So we watched Infinity War the other night. Yeah, which was the, the the first of the last two, if you know what I mean. What mm-hmm. an awesome movie, John! Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No, but I've just before we started recording, I had to go and interrupt uh, Thomas. We, we we signed up for Disney for oh. Disney for a month, uh, and I've gone and interrupted one of his Marvel movies, which he was none too pleased about. Well, you know what? Like the great thing because Joe knows none of them. She knows some of the characters, but she's hasn't really watched. It's such a good movie because I knew, I knew I probably watched a quarter of the Marvel movies, maybe a third of the ones that have been going through the time that's been going through. So I kind of based knew most of the storyline or at least most of got the basic plots. But um, she like she loved it and it was like first time she's seen any of them. It's, that's ultimate entertainment, man. Good storytelling. The graphics are unbelievable. So so we'll watch the second one in the next couple of days. And outside of that, we've been watching Veep. Have you seen Veep? No. Oh, it's very good. It's a good nice. movie. But other than that, John, just life as we know it, isn't it? Have you, got a t- have you got a teddy bear in your house? We have not oh. put a teddy bear up, but we, uh, I'll suggest that to the children straight after we're done. One thing they're doing in New Zealand, which is quite cool, is basically people are putting teddy bears in their windows. And the premise was just to help little kids when they're going out walking to give them something to do. But it's kind of like the whole country's getting on board. Like I'm looking out, my office looks out the windows of my neighbours. And I can see teddy bears pretty much in like four different houses right now. I've got a teddy bear in my window right beside me, John. Nice. Yep. So he's just doing a bit for the kids. Good. Awesome. Okay, let's wrap it up, John Iron Russ. Iron Mundo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. Kaha.